pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You. We praise You, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You are an awesome, a gracious, and an almighty God, that You have triumphed over sin and death. And Lord, that You are the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the only way we can come to the Father is through the Son. And so we ask, Lord, that this morning, the Lord, Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. You pour Your Spirit afresh upon each one of us. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to hear from You. And Lord, we just ask that You would, again, that man would decrease, that Your Spirit would increase. We ask all these things in Your holy and Your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 10. And by the way, if you, the tapes are over there. They're free. Help yourself. And those are the last couple weeks we looked at the marks of a healthy church. And then we looked at truth. And so those are in the two tapes on Luke chapter 9. So if you want to grab those, they're free. Help yourself. If you want to give them away, just again, like the gospel, they're free. But this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 10, and there's a lot of text here, so we're going to go through it rather quickly. But in Luke chapter 10, we're going to see three illustrations that illustrate the threefold ministry that should be in the life of every believer. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, these are three things that should be evident in each one of our lives as we walk with the Lord. The first thing that we will see is that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. That we are sent to represent Him to a lost and dying world. So God saved us that we might be used for His glory. We are also to be neighbors that are like Christ, imitating the Lord in revealing the Lord's love, His mercy, and His compassion upon those who are hurting. And then lastly, and most importantly, we are to be lovers of Christ. If you do not have an intimate relationship with God, if you are not spending time intimately with Him every single day, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to minister to others. You cannot take people to a place you've never been yourself. Amen? If you don't spend time every day at, the, at His feet, it's going to be very hard for you to go and minister to others. So we're going to look at those three things this morning. Being ambassadors for Christ, representing Him to the world. Being neighbors like Christ, imitating, to, imitating the Lord. And being lovers of Christ, worshiping and ministering to the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1. Again, looking at ambassadors for Christ, representing Him in the world. Verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed seventy others also, and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. So right after the Lord had been teaching them, it says, after these things, right after that, He sent out more of His disciples. Now this is not to be confused with Luke chapter 9 that we looked at a couple weeks ago when He sent out the apostles. Now He's sending out the seventy. The apostles were sent specifically to, to Galilee, and these these 70 anonymous disciples of God were sent out two by two to every city that he was going to go into. Now it's interesting that, to note that truly to be called by God, we must be fully reliant upon God. And the first nine verses we're going to see here as he sends these people out, he desires that they be fully reliant upon him. If there ever comes a point in your Christian walk where you think you've arrived, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? We've never arrived. We must always be desperate for Him. We must be always crying out for Almighty God to pour out His Spirit afresh upon each one of us. And as He sends these men out, He's going to send them out fully reliant upon Him. Several ways He's going to do that. But before I get into that, He sent out 12 apostles. It's interesting to me that there were 12 apostles. A representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now He sends out 70 disciples. And back in Genesis chapter 10, those of you who are here on Wednesday nights, we're going through Genesis you see that the table of nations, there were 70 nations. And I believe that the 70 apostles, or, or disciples in this case, are a representation of the fact that the Lord sent out those to reach the known world for, with the gospel. 
Luke's Gospel meditates on reaching the known world. The universality of the Gospel. The Gospel is available to all. Amen? Jesus didn't just die for some, He died for all. It is a desire that none should perish, no, not one. And as He sends out 70, it's a representation of God's heart to reach every single man, woman, and child with the Gospel. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It says there in verse 1, it says, The Lord appointed. That word there could also be called. And you know what? The key to a successful ministry is being called by God. Not being called by men. You know, a lot of times what we do is we look at the intellect of people and we think because they're intelligent or they have, they have a, a lot of education or they have a great background or, or they're wealthy or whatever, we think, wow, if that person would get saved, God could use them so mightily. Or maybe they're a great musician or whatever it might be. And sometimes we look and we, at things from a physical perspective and we think that God could use that person mightily because of their physical abilities. Let me tell you right now that God doesn't need any of our physical abilities. Amen? God is not looking for those who are greatly equipped. He doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. And He calls these men and He sends them out fully reliant upon Him, as we're going to see in the next few verses. It says there where He Himself was about to go. Not only were they sent out by Him, but they were sent out before Him to prepare the way of His coming. These guys truly were ambassadors for the King. And so too should each one of us be ambassadors for our King, our Savior. We're called by Him to share our faith, and we're called to go before Him to prepare the way of His coming, just as these 70 were. They went into the cities and said, He's coming, and they were preparing people's hearts with the truth of the Gospel. And we should be sharing that same message today. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ coming back? Amen? And He is coming. So since He's coming, should that not be on our heart and on our lips? And should not we not be sharing that same message that these men were sent out by God to do? We're going to see that their calling by God was, was sure, but the calling was also a dangerous one. Look at verse 2. Then He said to him, The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So this is going to be a difficult calling and a dangerous calling. It's difficult in that harvest is, is extremely hard work, especially when there are very few hands. The Bible says many hands make light labor, and few hands make great difficulty, if you look at it at the opposite extreme. And, and so the, the reality is that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he says, pray to the Lord that He would send out laborers into His harvest. Notice that He sends out laborers, not spectators. Amen? When we got saved, God did not call us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us so we could just sit and get fat and just get as fat as we could possibly be. Eat, 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 and never pour out. The Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. God saved you that He might use you for His glory. Amen? And He called these men that the laborers, send out laborers, not spectators. You know what? We need to get off the Christian sideline. Amen? We need to stop watching the parade go by and we need to get, be having an impact on a lost and dying world for the kingdom of God. And you notice that instead of praying for an easier job, they prayed for more laborers. They didn't pray, say, Lord, well, take, make this not so difficult. Take the job away. You know what? This is a lost and dying world that we live in. And the harvest is ripe. And there are so many people that need to hear about the love of God. But the same can be said today, that the laborers are few. 
God desires that He use us mightily. So we see that, the, that it's a difficult calling and it's a dangerous calling. Verse 3, it says, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. The calling is a dangerous one. As they invaded enemy territory, they were like lambs among wolves. But as long as they were fully reliant upon God, they would be victorious. I want to say this. Any man or woman who takes seriously their relationship with God is a target of Satan. Did you know that? If God is using you mightily, the enemy wants to shut you down. You know, Satan's resources are limited. He's not going to spend them on the spectators. Amen? He's not going to spend them on the ones who are not being uh, used mightily by God. If we're just sitting back and you say, you know, I, I never face persecution. That's not something to be proud of. Amen? That's not something to be excited about. Because blessed, or oh, how happy are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. God desires to use every one of us. And if we're sold out for Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world, if we're a halogen light in a dark room, we're going to offend some people. We should always do it in love. But you know what? We will be lambs among wolves. There will be those who desire to tear us apart because of our love for God. Many churchgoers do not give Satan enough trouble to arouse his opposition. Many people who call themselves Christians, again, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card in my wallet, and now I'm on the cruise ship to heaven. You know what? God again saved us that He might use us. So the calling is a difficult one. The calling is a dangerous one. But if, God is fa- if we trust in God, then we will be victorious. Their calling would also require faith and discipline and them being fully reliant upon God. Look at verse 4. It says, Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. He's saying, look, as you go out, don't be trusting in your finances. Don't be trusting in your resources. And as he sends them out, there's a sense of urgency. He says, look, don't waste your time carrying around the things of this world that will slow you down. You know what, as I was studying for this last night, I was convicted to think, you know what, I know that I'm carrying way too much of this world. There are things that inhabit me from doing more for the kingdom of God. I have a conviction that maybe, you know what, maybe I just need to get out of debt completely. Maybe I need to live in a smaller place. You know, Lord, put me in a position where I can serve you with my whole heart and I'm not tied down to the cares of this world. And as he sends these men out, he says, don't take anything with you. Just go. There's an urgency. And that urgency should still be in each one of our hearts today. He says, greet no one along the road. You know why? Not that he wants them to be rude, but in Jewish tradition, when they greeted people along the road, they would spend hours together. They would even have meals together. And he's saying, look, the calling upon your life is so urgent, you don't have time to dilly-dally. You know what? Our time is short upon this earth. Our life is but a vapor, the Bible says. But you know what's awesome? Is if we're still breathing in and out, it means God's not through with us. Amen? And He still wants to use us. And He still has a plan for us. And so it is a dangerous call. But God is with us. And it's a call that will require faith in God to trust in Him and not to hold on tightly to this world, but to hold on tightly to Him. Each one of us, there ought to be a sense of urgency to reach a lost and dying world. One of my favorite quotes is that every safe person this side of heaven ought to be burdened for every unsafe person this side of hell. May we not let the material things, may we not let the the stuff that we strive for that is temporal keep us from the calling that our God God has upon us to do something that's eternal. Verse 5, it says, But whatever house you enter, say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Peace refers to God's blessing upon a house. Son of peace is someone who responds to Christ's message or His messengers. God's blessing only rests upon the homes where He has been invited in. Let me ask you a question. Have you invited Jesus Christ into your home? 
Is your house, as it, it, you know, my, my favorite verse or our theme verse at home, anybody's ever called my house and listened to my answering machine, it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what, we need to set apart our houses unto God. And I want to encourage you men especially. God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. And you know what, you need to sanctify and set your, your, your homes apart unto the Lord. If there are things in your home that do not honor God, get them out of there. Amen? Why? Because we've just set it apart to honor Him. God blesses homes where He's invited in. Invite the Lord into your house. And may there be nothing in your home that would make you ashamed for Him to be there. Verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the labor is worthy of His wages. Do not go from house to house. They had to trust God to provide food and housing for them and, they would not be, and not to be embarrassed to accept it. A laborer is worthy of his wages. It says in 1 Corinthians 9.14, Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. I'm not asking for a raise because you guys, I don't get paid a dime, okay? But the reality is that those who are called, we should support them. We should support missionaries, amen? We shouldn't give them the leftovers. We should give them the best, amen? A lot of times the missionaries are coming, oh, i got an old mattress. You know what? You keep the old mattress, give, him, give them the new one. Amen? We need to minister to people who are being faithful to toil full-time in the gospel. Not give them the leftovers. What they're doing, that's the highest calling there is. And I'll be honest with you, I can think of no greater thing in the world to do than to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. I can't believe that I get to do this. Not only did Jesus save me, but then He lets me be His messenger. Wow, that blows my mind because I'm certainly not worthy. Without Him we can do nothing. But He's called each one of us to be His messengers. And you know what? A laborer is worthy of His hire. And I'll be honest with you, one of the most difficult things for me to do is, is receive. Isn't it a lot easier to give than it is to receive? Isn't it? A lot easier to give stuff away. It's real hard to take from people. And you know why? Pride. Amen? We, we get proud. We don't want to take. But the Lord desires. And He's teaching these men humility. He's saying, you go out. You stay in the homes. You, they, they will take care of you. They will feed you. But you're going to have to be fully reliant upon Me to provide for you. Do not go from house to house. Each such thing is set before you. Don't waste precious time moving from house to house seeking something more comfortable, better lodging. Be satisfied with whatever God has provided. You know what? Our, our mentality in the United States is always to find something bigger and better. We need a bigger car, a nicer house, a this or that. We're always looking for something more. Instead of just being blessed with what we have. Amen? And saying, Lord, you've given me so much. I can't even begin to give back to you what you've already given to me. Again, our pursuit of the temporal can keep us from fulfilling our calling concerning the eternal. Whatever city you enter, verse 8, and they receive you, eat such things as they said before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. They were ambassadors of peace, bringing healing to the sick, deliverance to the possessed, and the good news of salvation to lost sinners. We're going to see now that rejecting God's peace is choosing righteous judgment. Look at verse 10. Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that city. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The gospel has been brought to your doors. But if you shut the door, your blood will be upon your own head. There is not a person in the United States of America that has not heard the gospel, I'm convinced of it. At least that they, if they want to hear it, they're going to hear it. Amen? There's a church on every corner. You know what? 
we are, we are going to be under heavy judgment from God because we have such an opportunity to know the Lord. But at the same time, we are called as His salt and light to go out and minister to those who need to hear it. In verse 12, Sodom. Now, most of us know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, one of the most wicked cities that ever lived. And they did not heed the judgment or the, the warning of Lot to flee from Sodom. And so the city was smoked. But he says it will be even worse for the cities that reject the gospel than it was for Sodom. It will be even worse. Woe unto you cities. And these are some harsh words coming from the Son of God. Look at verse 13 through 16. He's going to refer to three ancient cities that have been judged by God, Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, and use them to warn three cities of His day. He says, Woe unto you, Chorazon. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon to judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who has ears to hear, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The Lord is saying, Woe unto you, because these cities have been brought near to heaven. And what he meant by that was, these were cities where Jesus had gone and done miraculous works, and the people were still rejecting his message. He had been there, he'd performed miracles, he had taught the truth, and they still didn't listen. They walked away and said, we don't need it. And he said, woe unto you, because I've delivered the gospel unto you. I've brought the miraculous to you, and you did not receive it. And you know what? If the Lord were to come and speak here this morning, I believe he would say, woe unto you, United States of America. Amen? This was a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, and we've turned our back on God. Now, there is a remnant. There are those here that love the Lord, but this is not a Christian nation anymore. And you know what? All you have to do is read the newspaper and you know that's true. Amen? We're taking the Bible out of school. Take the prayer out of school. We've got to shut people down. We don't want to hear about God anymore. Don't be, don't be pushing your, your God stuff on me. And you know what? We've turned our back on God and woe unto us. And you know what? Economically, God has blessed us. He's given us freedom. And still, Sodom has nothing on us. Pornography, abortion, crime, violence, a total disregard for God. And you know what? Praise the Lord, though, where, the, where do you want to take the brightest light? To the darkest place. Amen? And you know what? There isn't enough darkness in the world to put out the smallest light. And you know, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And this is a very dark county, but my prayer is every single day that God would bring revival and this place truly would be Holy Cross once again. Amen? That it would turn from being known as a city that's into witchcraft and, and homosexuality and all the other things that everybody, New Age movement, everything else that everybody dabbles in here, and it would be known for a place where people love the Lord. And God can do that. Amen? Our God is greater than that. He can do anything. And we need to just pray and be on our knees and interceding on behalf of this city. To hear Christ's ambassadors means to hear Him. When we reject those that bring the Word of God, we're rejecting the Lord. If you reject Jesus Christ, you've rejected the Father. John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. The only way we can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus alone. There's no other way. For the hundredth time, Buddha dead, Hare Krishna dead, Joseph Smith dead, Mary Baker Eddy dead, all these other prophets are dead. You know what? I wouldn't want to be serving a dead prophet. How about you? Amen? Our God is a risen living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death, and He's the only way that we can get to heaven. So we move on, and now we're going to look at joy. The joy that comes in representing Jesus Christ. Not only do we get to serve Him, but there's joy in serving Him. 
You know what? I'll be honest with you. I've never known greater joy than I know when I see God doing an awesome work in the life of somebody. Amen? I love the, just watching God work. I love lives being changed. I love some, what I've seen God do in some of the people sitting in this room this morning. I've, just, I've watched God do a work in your life where six months ago, a year ago, maybe you weren't walking with God or you're away from God, and man, now you're on fire for God. That's a work and a move of the Holy Spirit. And there's a joy that comes from serving the Lord. Look at verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The disciples returned with joy from their successful mission trip. Again, if there were an 11th commandment, I think it would be, Thou shalt go on a short-term mission trip. Because you know what? I've had a chance to go to Russia seven times. I've been to Mexico four or five times. And you know, every time you go out and you invest in doing nothing, you're not, you're not going to work, you're not doing anything else, but you're there to serve and love and minister to others and share with them the gospel, there's a, a joy that you cannot compare to anything else when you see God do an awesome work. These 70 men come back and they're blown away at what they've seen God do. The demons even flee in your name. They run away. There's joy in serving God. And notice they say, in your name, not in our name, because God alone be all the glory. Only through His name do the demons flee. Verse 18. And He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Man, I like this. They said, you know, the demons flee. And the Lord said, well, duh. I was there when Satan got thrown out of heaven. I threw his tail out, okay? He's a defeated foe. How many of you guys know that? Satan, done. You're toast, right? Amen? And so Satan was cast out of heaven. No kidding that the demons flee at my name. You know, every time the Lord shows up, what do the demons do? Oh, Lord, it's not time for us yet, is it? Right? Remember he cast the, all the, all the uh, demons into the swine a few weeks ago and all the swine ran into the lake, the first case of deviled ham, right? And he threw all the, he threw all the demons into the swine. The swine ran off the cliff to their death. And the reality is that the demons are, are fear God, and they ought to fear God. And the sad part is that the, the world doesn't, even though the demons do. Verse 19, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. In accordance with the disciples' faithfulness and their service to Him, Jesus gave them even greater authority over the enemy and invincibility in their calling. You know what? We are indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? As Christians, we have nothing to fear. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. But our God is faithful and our God is in control and we have nothing to fear. You know what? Devil can't make you do anything. Satan can't touch you unless God says so. We have nothing to worry about. Amen? Just remember, we can trust Him. He's with us. Look at the joy of salvation. Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here's the good news. Our greatest joy doesn't come from the gifts we've been given. Our greatest joy does not even come from the service that we're allowed to do. Our greatest joy ought to be that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we're going to heaven. Amen? Isn't that good? You know, one of the things I say at work, most of you know I still work full time. And whenever things get squirrely at work, one of the questions I always ask, oh man, is that going to heaven? Oh yeah, going to heaven. Right? It doesn't get perspective right back where it needs to be. You know, the worst thing the world can do to me is shoot me dead, and that's actually the best thing that could happen to me. Amen? The worst thing the world can do to me would be the best thing that could happen to me, because then I'd be in the presence of Almighty God. And we should rejoice not in, in the gifts that we've been given, but in the giver of the gifts. Amen? 
We rejoice in Him, in our relationship with Him. He's such a great and an awesome God. The greatest miracle of all is the fact that each one of us has been saved. The Bible says in Matthew 12 that an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Again, do not seek the signs, the wonders, and the gifts, but seek the giver of the gifts. You know what? Too many churches today, they're looking for the, they're looking for the signs and the wonders. You know, they're chasing the emotion. And you know what? The new car smell is going to wear off. Amen? You know, every time you go and try something new and then you've got to go find something else new and then you've got to go find something... You know what? Just sit at His feet and be still and know that He's God and you won't need anything else. Amen? You won't need any more experiences. Nothing wrong with experience, but we need to experience Jesus Christ and intimacy with Him and have a personal relationship with Him and watch what God will do. Lastly, look at the joy that we have in His sovereignty. Verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Your sight. Here we see a picture of the Trinity. Jesus rejoicing in the Spirit, thanking the Father. I love that. I love, there's many, many verses where you see the Trinity all in one verse, and you see it right here. And what he says there is, hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Understanding of truth does not depend on natural ability, education, or intellect. You know, the Pharisees, they thought they were pretty smart, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Quite often, man's pursuit of intellect keeps him from having faith in Almighty God. Why? Because he starts to trust in his own intellect, his own ability, his own strength. And you know what? The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men, the Bible says. You know, I've talked to people and they think they're real smart and they start talking about, oh, I can do that. You know what, man? You're an idiot compared to God. Amen? You can't even be on the same page with Him. And any intelligence you have, God gave you anyway. Amen? So to Him alone be all the glory. And He says, those who seek after the wisdom... And again, we don't check our brains at the door when we become Christians. We're not Christians in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. But what we are instead is we are Christians based upon the evidence. But it's not based upon intellect. It's based upon faith in the Creator of the universe and having a relationship with Him. True understanding comes from humbling ourselves before God. The Bible says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. It seemed good in your sight, it says. A powerful affirmation of the sovereignty of God. I want you guys to know God is in control. No matter what happens in the White House, God's in control. No matter what happens in the Middle East, God's in control. No matter what happens with your health, God is in control. No matter what happens with your finances, God is in control. He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you, and He never ceases to be God. Amen? And we can, that's the only place that we need to run when we go through difficulty. Verse 22. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Again, the only way we can know the Father is to know the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. Verse 23. Then He turns to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. Christ's ambassadors truly were privileged people as they were able to see and hear things that all the Old Testament saints had wanted to see and hear. You know what though? I believe that we are the most blessed of any people who've ever lived. And let me tell you why. Because we are closer to the return of Christ than anybody else has ever been. Amen? We have the completed revelation of the Word of God. 
We have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of each one of our lives. And praise the Lord for that. Amen? And so, we're not... You know, this is prior to Pentecost. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Unless it was given to them for a specific purpose. When you were born again, God gave you a down payment on your eternal inheritance and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And now you're comforted by the Holy Spirit and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. We're the most blessed of all people. We have the 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents. In three languages, over 1,500 years, with one central theme and no contradictions. And how is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And we, when we struggle in life, we can open up and read the living, breathing Word of God. Not an old, antiquated book, but the living, breathing Word of God. So we have the Holy Spirit who helps us understand and illuminates the living, breathing Word of God to us. And then He goes before us. We've seen more prophecy fulfilled than any other... Gen- Why? Because we are closer to the end. The reformation of Israel as a nation... All the other things that are going on all around us. Fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of Scripture. We're the most blessed of all people. And at the same time, there should be a sense of urgency because Jesus Christ is coming back and He desires to use us for His glory. Again, we have the Holy Spirit, the completed revelation, and again, the prophecy that is to come. So number one, we are ambassadors for Christ, representing Him to the world. So number two, we need to be neighbors like Christ, imitating the Lord, revealing the Lord's love, His mercy, and His compassion upon those who who are hurting. Look at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a lawyer, an expert in the law, came testing Jesus, hoping to trip him up. Now, how foolish can you be but hoping to trip up the Son of God? If you're against God, you lose every time. Amen? You don't question God. You don't come and test God and try to trip up God. But that's what this lawyer did. Again, puffed up in his own arrogance and his own intellect, and he comes and asks a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the greatest question that anybody could ever ask. Nicodemus asked it, but his heart was sincere. And the Lord told him, you must be born again. This man asked it, the Lord knew his heart, and what does Jesus do? He takes this lawyer back to the law. Look at verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. So he takes him back to the law, but he doesn't take him back to the law because the law will save us. He takes him back to the law because the law reveals sin. The law is like a mirror. You know, when you put a mirror up on the wall and you stand in front of the mirror, it reveals your blemishes. It reveals, you know, I mean, I need to put some makeup on, right? It reveals the things that are, that are decaying on our bodies. And you know, we don't take the mirror off the wall and rub our face with it because that wouldn't do us any good. And we don't take the law and try to achieve the law that we might find favor with God. That's not how it works. The law is a, is a taskmaster, a schoolmaster that drives us to the cross. He takes this man to the law because this man, this man and no man could ever fulfill the law. And here's what happens. The man comes... And what happens? The Lord says to him, go and do this. Just go and do it, and you will inherit eternal life. Is this man doing it? The answer is no. Do this and you will live. It's an impossible task that reveals our sin and should cause us to seek divine mercy. Instead of responding with brokenness and confession, he attempts to justify himself, revealing his own self-righteous attitude. Look at verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? You know, isn't it interesting that... Those who are antagonistic toward God will always question the Word of God. And that's what this man is doing. Well, who's my neighbor? Now, according to Jewish tradition, 
their prevailing thought was that the, their neighbors were only the righteous people. The only people I need to love are the righteous people. I don't need to love the tax collectors or the prostitutes. I don't need to love the Gentiles. And I especially don't, don't need to be loving them dirty dog Samaritans that are half Jew and half Gentile. I mean, I, we're not supposed to love them. We only love the righteous. Can you imagine if God only loved the righteous? We'd be in big trouble. Amen? I mean, we've been made righteous through Him, but none is righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. But these guys were puffed up. They were arrogant. And they thought that only those who were righteous were their neighbors. So Jesus is going to tell them who his neighbor is. Look at verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. A certain man. Nowhere does it say that this is a parable. So it, in my opinion, it probably is not a parable. You know, usually when the Lord says it's a parable, he tells them. In this case, he doesn't say it's a parable. He just says a certain man went down. And he tells his story. And he went on this road. And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles long. It drops 3,300 feet in elevation. And it was known to be dangerous, filled with thieves. And, and, and it, was a, it was a spot that people were very leery about walking on. And so he tells the story about this man who travels along this dangerous road. Verse 31. Now, when he got there, he was wounded, he was beaten, thieves got a hold of him. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. So here we, two, we see two self-righteous religious men come upon a man who was hurting and wounded and broken. And how do they respond to him? They are too busy. I'm, you know, I'm about God's work. I'm too busy. I've got, you know, got places to go. I'm about God's work. I'm a priest, by the way. I don't have time to be ministering to any people. I've had people tell me that. You know, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Ministry is the people. Amen? Too often we get so busy doing stuff for God that we forget that it's about the people. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people. And then, oh, I'm too busy. And gets on the other side of the road and walks along and ignores the one who's fallen at his feet. I'm too tired. I served at the temple all day. I can't reach out to this man. I'm too concerned about the potential danger. You know, maybe the thieves are still here somewhere and they might get me. Too focused on self. And so these religious men of the day keep on trucking and leave this man laying in a ditch waiting to die. Now, I love the Lord how He reveals to them in such a, a heavy way because the people they hated the most were the Samaritans. They were reviled by the Jews. But look at verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Do you know that our God is a God of compassion? Amen? A lot of people think God's up in the sky with lightning bolts in his hand, waiting for you to make a mistake so he can smoke you. That's not our God. Amen? Our God is a God of love and first chance and 50th chance and 1,000th chance and 1 millionth chance. He loves us and loves us and loves us and loves us. And he's a God of compassion. And here the Samaritan is being more Christ-like than these religious people. Why? Because when he saw the man, he had compassion upon him. So he went to him, and he bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. You know what? To minister to others, it will cost us something. It will cost us something. This Samaritan man, 
loved this man, even though the Jews were the ones that hated him. He ministered to this Jew. He spent his own money, two days' wages for a common laborer, was never publicly rewarded or honored, but he did it anyway. Why? Because he understood what ministry was about. It cost him something, but he was willing to do it. It's interesting that he used wine and oil to minister to him. Wine was, a, in those days, was an antiseptic. Oil was something that, that soothed people. But wine, in the Bible, is a representation of what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And as this man lay half dead in a ditch, what did he need to be healed? He needed the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon him. Amen? And as we lay half dead, separated from God spiritually, those who do not know him, that's exactly what we need today. And this man reached down and he ministered to him. Verse 36. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor who fell among the thieves? Now you've got to understand, for this, this religious man, this lawyer, the last thing he wanted to do was give a Samaritan credit for anything. They hated the Samaritans. This man was a bigot. And he didn't like Samaritans. He was a self-righteous man. But at the same time, how else could he answer? Now I want to say this. Good works do not produce salvation. But salvation does produce good works. Amen? And we see this man's heart in ministering to this man who'd been hurting. And verse 37 he said, He who showed mercy on him. He wouldn't even say a Samaritan. Oh, the one who showed mercy, that's the one. Then he said to him, Go and do likewise. Well, likewise. You know what? The only thing we're taking to heaven with us, you guys, is people. Amen? You know what? Half the time we don't want to minister to people because it's going to cost us some stuff. Are you taking the stuff to heaven? Again, I've never seen a hearse pull in a U-Haul. I haven't had it. I don't see it. You know, when the hearse goes, right, that's it. Put you in the ground, that's it. I've done funerals before. I've never seen them putting stuff in And when they put stuff in there, it's pretty foolish. You know, the Egyptians do it. They, put all, they go dig them up and the stuff's still there. Guys didn't take it with them. Amen? The only thing we're taking with us to heaven is people. So why are we concerned about holding on to stuff instead of ministering to people? It all depends on your perspective. To the thieves, this traveling Jew was a victim to exploit, so they attacked him. To the priest and the Levite, he was a nuisance to be avoided, so they ignored him. And to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love and to help, so he came and he took care of him. Jesus said to him and said to us, Go and do likewise. Love your neighbors. Imitate Christ. Reach out. We're almost done. Last five verses. We are also, lastly, to be lovers of Christ. Not only are we be, to be a representation of Him to a lost and dying world and imitators of Him in reaching out to those who are hurting, but we are more than anything else to be, a, be lovers of Christ. Worshiping and ministering to the Lord so we might minister for the Lord. Worship is the heart of all that we are and all that we do in Christian life. It is important that we be busy ambassadors for Christ, taking the message of the gospel to the lost. It's also that we be like this merciful Samaritan, reaching out to those who are hurting. But more important than anything else, before we can represent Christ, before we can reach out to others, before we can tell people about the love of God, we must spend intimate time in fellowship learning of Jesus Christ. You know what? When I counsel people, the first question I ask everyone they're struggling in their marriage. How's your devotional time? Uh, uh, devotional time? What? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not praying very much. I'm not spending much time in the Word. You wonder why your marriage is in trouble. You know what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen? And you know what? If you want God to be present in your marriage, you need to spend time with the Lord every single day. The Bible says we're desired the Word of God more than our necessary food. 
You know, I, I don't know about some of you, but I, I know for me, I very rarely walk by the fridge without getting something out of there. Amen? I mean, we, you know, we like to eat. I haven't eaten in an hour. Oh, man, I'm starving. Right? <laughs> Joe, it's like 10 minutes. I'm starving, right? And, you know, that's how we get, you know, got to feed the machine. But here's the reality. The reality is that we're desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And we'll go days or weeks without spending time in the Word. Well, oh, man, I, I'm struggling. I can't figure out why. You know what? If we went two weeks without eating any food, oh, you know, I'm weak and I'm weak. Oh, I haven't eaten in two weeks. That's my, we don't do that. But spiritually, we do it all the time. And so we are to be worshipers of God. We are to spend time in His presence, not once a week or twice a week, but every single day, an intimate personal relationship with Him. And we're going to contrast two women as we close. Now, it happened as they went that they entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. That's a great thing. She welcomed the Lord into her house. Again, it's Christ welcomed into your home. He needs to be. Welcome the Lord into your home. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard His word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to come and help me. Now, a lot of people think it's either or. You either can be Mary or you can be Martha. You can either serve the Lord or you can sit at His feet. I believe that we need to do both. Amen? But we should not go to serve the Lord until we've sat at His feet. You've got to love Mary. She's in the Bible three times in the Gospels. And guess where she is every single time you see her? At Jesus' feet. Every single time. No wonder God used her so mightily. First of all, she's sitting at His feet listening to His Word here in Luke 10. In John 11, she fell at His feet grieving over the death of her brother Lazarus. In John 12, she came to His feet and she poured out her most valuable possession upon Him and washed His feet with her hair. Poured out everything that she had and said, Lord, not my glory but Your glory. Not my will but Your will. This is the most valuable thing I have but it's nothing compared to what You mean to me. And she gave everything to the Lord. And you know what? Mary was an awesome woman of God, and we should learn from her. And so Martha says, well, wait a minute, Lord, you know, I'm overwhelmed. Could you send her in here to give me a hand with the dishes? And you know what? She's diligently working. She's serving the Lord. But I love this. I, I found this lyric from an old hymn. Some of the, the sunshiners may have heard it. I had never heard it before. This is a, an old hymn. And it says, faithful to my Lord's command, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful, careful Martha's hands and loving Martha's, Mary's heart. We're to serve with the hands of Martha and the heart of Mary. We're to be diligent to do the will of God, but we need to be in His presence and at His feet that we might know the power of God. Amen? We can't have one without the other. So often, sometimes we're so busy serving God, we don't spend time at His feet. And others say, well, I want to spend time at His feet, but then they don't go serve. And you know what the reality is? That we should do both. Verse 41, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary has taken the good part. While serving the Lord is important, what we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Let me say that again. What we do with Christ is far more important than what we do for Christ. Sometimes we think that God will love us more if we do more stuff. You know what? You can't do any more to make God love you more. He can't love you any more than He already does. Amen? And you don't earn His favor. He loves you already. You know what? I have four children. How many parents do we have in the room? Raise your hand. How much do you love your kids, right? Could you love them any more? I couldn't possibly. And I'm a sinful man. And I, I love my kids so much. I, I've told you this before. I drive down the freeway thinking about my kids. I start weeping. 
Because I love them so much, I can't even put it into words. And I think, if I love my kids that much, how much does God love me? And you know what? I would break my heart if my kids never wanted to spend time with me. I hear grandparents say that. You know, my kids don't come see me anymore. My grandkids don't come see me anymore. You know, that would break my heart if my kids moved away and didn't want to come see me. Didn't want to come spend time in my presence. But think about it. That's how our Father must feel when we don't spend time with Him. Amen? He desires that we come and sit at His feet. He longs to have fellowship with us. We are His treasured possession. He desires us more than anything else. The the, the Creator of the universe, if He can have anything, He wants you. You're it. He doesn't want world peace or anything. He wants you. And He desires to have that intimate relationship with you. And Mary understood that. And she went to Jesus' feet. And we are to be lovers of Christ. We need to minister to the Lord so that we can minister for the Lord. Amen? Begin by ministering to Him. Begin by spending time at His feet. Spend time in His presence. And you know what? You'll see God do awesome and mighty and powerful things in the ministry that He's called you to do. Without Him, you can do nothing. And if you go out in your own flesh, in your own ability, in your own strength, it will be fruitless. But if you sit at His feet and you fall in love with the Lord, you're going to become so contagious for God. You're going to be like Moses, that you're glowing in the dark for Jesus. Amen? If you spend time with Him, you're going to be a reflection of Him. Just like the moon is a reflection of the S-U-N, as Christians, we should be reflections of the S-O-N. Amen? We should be shining brightly to those we come into contact with. It's not an either-or, but it's a matter of doing both. Few things are as damaging to the work of Christ as trying to do it without taking time to commune with Him. Again, for without Him we can do nothing. Martha's problem wasn't that she had too much work to do, but she allowed her work to distract her, to keep her from intimate fellowship. Let me confess to you, I've done that. How many of you have ever done that? You've gotten so busy that you've been distracted and you don't spend intimate time with the Lord like you should. Lord, help us not to do that again. Amen? Help us not to be so busy. Well, I've got to go to work early so I can make overtime, so I can get more stuff, you know, spend money I don't have on things I don't need to impress people I don't know, right? I mean, doing all this kind of stuff, you know, and we go out and we strive for things that are perishing when we ought to be desiring to know God in a more personal and intimate way. If our service to Christ makes us difficult to live with, something's wrong. The key is right priorities. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself, and then you'll have joy. Amen? And you know what? In closing, it's, it's vitally important that we spend time at Jesus' feet every single day, letting Him share His Word with us. The most important part of our Christian life, let me say this, pay attention, the most important part of our Christian life is the part that only Christ sees. Amen? The most important part of our walk with God is the time that we have with Him that nobody else even knows about. It's that intimacy. It's that one-on-one relationship. There's nothing greater. So in review, the threefold ministry of the believer. Ambassadors for Christ, that the worship team will come back up, representing Him to the world. Neighbors like Christ, imitating the Lord, revealing the Lord's love, His mercy, and His compassion upon those who are hurting. And most importantly, that we be lovers of Christ, worshiping and ministering to the Lord so we might be empowered to worship and minister uh, minister to others for the Lord. Ministering to the Lord that we might minister for the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll close the worship song. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, Lord, that we're not in this life alone. And Father God, we so desire that our lives would count for Your kingdom. 
that, Lord, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for you will last. And, Lord, we desire that, that even today, that you just breathe afresh your Holy Spirit upon each one of us. And, Lord, that we would be ambassadors for you, reaching out to a lost and dying world. That we'd be imitators of you and reaching out to those who are hurting and broken. But above all else, Lord, that we would be worshipers of you. That we'd have an intimate relationship with you. That we would desire above all else to minister to you so that we might minister for you. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for each person who's here this morning, that you brought them here by divine appointment. I pray your Holy Spirit would just do a work in each one of us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and close with a song?